James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. We're going to talk about the tongue. I'm going to read the 12 verses and do some commenting, exposition on these verses. So hopefully bring out some points that will help us. It's a warning. It's a general heed of Scripture. The book of James, old camel knees. James was called camel knees. He's on his knees so much. I laid cover for 17 years, and I had, I had calluses on my knees, just like old camel knees did. I had calluses on my knees, but it wasn't from praying. I wish it would have been, but it was from laying carpet. But uh, I was on my knees six, seven hours a day, no problem. And so I understood what it means. Old camel knees that got that way from praying. Powerful, powerful, powerful child of God. And here's what the Holy Spirit led him to say. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater judgment. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, thou, which though they be so great and are driven for fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasts great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. That's the first section, that's section one, and the outline, I have three, I'm going to outline this verses one through five, six through eight, and nine through twelve. That's kind of the conclusion there. A little fire, just a little match, just a little word will create such trouble. And then in verse six through eight, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and serpents, and things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame, it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. There And then the next section, 9 through 12, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, Therewith curse we men, which are made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Does the fountain send forth the same place sweet water and bitter? Of course it doesn't. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? No. Either vine figs? No. So in no fountain both yields salt water and fresh. Why talk about the tongue? Why spend tonight talking about the tongue? Well, besides us being in the Bible, right? We talk about the whole Bible. We preach the whole truth, nothing but the truth will help us God. We preach from one end of the Bible to the other. We believe it's all inspired by God. It's said so, and we believe what it says. Let me give you five reasons to talk about the tongue. This is introduction. Five reasons we should talk about the tongue. Number one, we, why talk about the tongue? Because of the importance of the subject. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 says, But I say unto you, Jesus' words, by the way, that every idle word that a man shall speak shall be give, a, give account of in the day of judgment. That should scare you. So we, we uh, want to talk about the tongue because it's an important subject. 
The second reason we want to talk about the tongue, because of the hypocrisy of the tongue. James 1.26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. We oftentimes say one thing and then do another. The third reason we talk about the tongue is because of the desire to love life. That may sound strange to you, but in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For he that will love life, and most of you, I would say, would want to love life. But it says in 1 Peter 3, 10, But he that would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, they speak no guile. The fourth reason we want to speak about the tongue is because it represents what's in our hearts. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus said, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You ever have a fight with your wife, man, and say something that was vicious? You all look so innocent. I said some really stupid stuff. How many here have said some stupid stuff? God bless you. The Bible says God cares about the contrite, right? Contrite and humble. And the fifth reason is because it affects others. Why talk about the tongue? It affects other people. James chapter 4, verse 11. Speak not evil one of another or of another brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. What we say affects people. That word, by the way, speak not evil, means to slander people. Yes, we slander folks. So, man, I could go home with that enough right now. That's important. It's, it's talking about the tongue. It's, it's important. It's also discouraging because of how many times I fail to bridle the tongue the way I should. And how many times I've said things that I should not have said. But nevertheless, we are to take the warning of James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. All right, I'm going to give you a quote from Walvoord. I like Walvoord. He's a good guy. Good, good teacher. He's gone in heaven now. He says, As disturbing as those who have faith with no works are, so are those Christians who substitute words for works. Your Christianity should not rest mostly on your ability to verbalize it. Your Christianity should rest mostly on your assimilating of it in your life, putting it to work. When you're tested, you do what the Bible says to do. You don't do what you're Maybe even your family will say to do. You don't even do what your society will say to do. You always want to do what the Bible says to do. You go back to the Bible. You say, what's, what would God, what's the God, what's the Bible say? You seek counsel. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. So first of all, I have three points, verses 1 through 5, 6 through 8, and 9 through 12. The first point is the tongue is powerful. That's James 3, 1 through 5. We need to be very, very careful about speaking. It says, my brethren, be not many masters. Uh, some people have interpreted that teachers among you, 
Evidently, there were too many Christians wanting to be teachers and wanting to be leaders, masters, heads. And James was alarmed by this, and the Holy Spirit also agreed with him and gave him some sober warnings in this section of Scripture. Because we all have feet of clay. For he says, for in many things we offend all. That's you, me, and everybody. For in many things we offend all. So he says we need to be careful. What are we? We're imperfect people teaching imperfect people. One guy put it this way, one sinner telling other sinners we all need to be saved. I don't know who quoted that. I don't know where I got it, but most of my stuff now I forgot where I got it. But it's one sinner telling other sinners we all need to be saved. In this passage, it gives three illustrations of the tongue's powerful because the main point of verses 1 through 5 is the tongue is powerful. You need to respect it because it is powerful. And we see here, he gives the illustration of a bridle in a horse's mouth. I had a few horses when I was a child. My parents had some ponies and some horses, and they tried to use them to kill me. That did not work. A horse will try to kill you, no doubt about it. They try to scrape you off on a tree, scrape you off on the top of the barn. They'll, they'll, they, will, they will use every wicked imagination that you can imagine to try to hurt you. They'll, they'll put their head down and lock their feet on, throw you over, the, then jump over you. They will, they, will, they will bite you and lift you off the ground. That, that was happening to my brother. And Brother Gillespie is a big, a big uh, animal uh, veterinarian. He knows all this is true. And I can't even believe people keep horses or want horses after all of that. You say, well, Brother Bill, you got some bad horses. Well, we probably did, but we were bad kids. Bad kids, bad horses. But we tried to put a bridle in those horses. Oh, man, a horse will fight putting a bridle. You have to catch him. First of all, you got to catch him. Well, let me tell you a story about somebody. I'm not going to name his name, but he was a cowboy. Florida, by the way, is a big cattle state. I hope you know that. Second largest cattle state in the United States. And inland Florida, especially, they keep lots of cattle. This one individual I know well was a cowboy for 12 years. He rode a horse all day for 12 years. I mean, he, know, he knew this horse. A horse lives about 30 years, 35 years maybe. And he knew this horse. And in the morning, when he would go to get that horse, that horse would try to, would try to stay away from him. And this is the way old farmers do. He took his shotgun out had eight shot in it, and shot the horse in the rear end with his eight shot. And the horse would just stand there quiver, and he'd walk up to him, put his bridle on him, and then they'd go around and work the rest of the day. You have to show him who's boss. No, no, that's a veterinarian that's going, oh, man, what kind of advice is that? I'm going to tell you, that comes directly out of the mouth of a cowboy. And he said, if that, if that horse wouldn't have let me get him, he said, I'd have killed him and got me a good one. But anyways, you know you, you animal lovers, I know you just really appreciate the way they handle that. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that's what he said. But he put, a, he put a bridle in a horse's mouth. Not easy to do sometimes. It's like a rudder on a ship. Man, a rudder's small, small compared to the whole ship, yet it'll turn that ship around. A spark in creating fire. Now, you know, really what the commonality of these things, a bridle, a rudder, and a spark, is they're all small in comparison with what they're on or what they deal with. Yet they have direction-changing power, if I may say life-changing power, 
And the general warning of Scripture to the t- of, of, of the tongue is, number one, to be slow to speak. Because of the power of the tongue, most of the times when you don't say what you want to say, later on you'll be happy you didn't say it. People don't need to know everything you're thinking. They really don't. James chapter 1, verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Oh, may God help us. We're not to slander. Titus chapter 3, verse 2, speak evil of no man. That means to slander folks. Shouldn't, shouldn't do that. Never speak, never speak wrongly of people. I've had people slander me every way you can be slandered. I just can't believe they'd want to do that. I'm such a nice guy. But they'll slander you. Say, well, the pastor would do this, or the pastor said this, and you didn't say it or didn't do it. Thirdly, only speak to help people. First Thessalonians 2.4, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Speak those things which lift people up. Speak things by the grace of God. I'm not talking about flattering now. God, flattering is condemned all through the Scripture. Flattering usually is used to get something. You tell people what they want to hear. You tell some homely girl she's beautiful. Or you tell some homely guy he's, he's really muscular and a real man's man when he's not. They flatter people so they can usually manipulate them or get something out of them. That's condemned in Scripture from one end to the other. But to be be truthful with people and speak good things to them by the grace of God as much as you're allowed to, as much as you can. In Titus 2.15 it says, These things speak, exhort, rebuke with all authority, and let no man despise thee. The things of the Word of God you can speak clearly and honestly. So the first thing we learn is the tongue's powerful. Verses 1 through 5. Verse 6 through 8, we learn the tongue is perverse. Let's look at that again. It says the tongue is a fire. Look at the description of this. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue in our members that defileth the whole body, setteth on fire the course of the nature, and is set on fire of hell. It has a potency of the very fire of hell to damage in verse 6. Verse 7, is wilder than any animal because every animal out there can be tamed, but not the tongue. It's actually wild, more wild than any animal you can imagine. It is a poison, in verse 8, with no antidote, the tongue. It is perverse. The third thing we learn about the tongue in verse 9 through 12 is the tongue is polluted. It's polluted. We bless God with it, but we curse men who are made in the similitude of God. It is contradictory in verse 9 through 10. Like the woman, reminds me of the woman who told her husband she loved him. Ten minutes later, she told him she hated him, and she meant it both times. Do I need to repeat that? That was amazing to me, but it's true. That's actually true. I've had women uh, in counseling. To be tell that she hated somebody, and later on she says she loved the same guy. The guy's looking at me and saying, which one do I want to pick? Well, pick the love part. It's against nature, verses 1 through 11, or 11 through 12. 
It's double-minded. It's double-tongued. It's double-crossing. And it's double-trouble. The tongue will kiss you and bite you. It will love you and it will hate you. It will appreciate you and it will despise you. It will build you up and tear you down. And all I can tell you, this, these 12 verses tell me and tell you, beware of the tongue. Verses 1 through 5, it's powerful. Verses 6 through 8, it's perverse. Verses 9 through 12, it is polluted. The best you're going to do with the tongue is do damage control. I wish I could tell you a little more encouraging words that you can control it, but it's untamable. It'll sneak out of you in a moment when you least expect it, when you think you got everything going right, you got it under control, and you haven't said anything stupid in two weeks. And then you'll go and say something. You'll say, ooh, ooh man, man, best to be quiet. Best to be quiet rather than speak too much. Let there not be many masters. Don't be a bunch of, don't, be, be careful. Be careful about being teachers. Master, be careful about wanting to speak a lot. Because when you speak a lot, there's sure, the Bible says, where there's much speech, there's sure to be sin. It's true. I commit sin from the pulpit. Here I am, your preacher. And I, once in a while, I commit sin from the pulpit. I may do something stupid, say something stupid, which I may have tonight even. Now you'll go out here and say, I hate horses. I do not hate, hate horses. I think they're fine to eat. Here we go. Such a little member creates such a storm. How many marriages have been decimated by stupid arguments? I mean, talking about stuff that ultimately it doesn't really make much difference. Yet you'll 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 sl- you'll you'll damage. Your best friend, your husband or your wife should be your best friend in life beside your mother and your father. Your wife should be, or your husband, either one, should be your best, it should be your confidant, your, your, your person that you can rely upon, your person that you can trust till death do you part. And you'll say such mean things about them. You all look like you don't have never said a bad word about each other. But I know better. I know better. Never, never, never go home and have roast preacher. Don't do it. You let God take care of the preacher. God will take care of him. But don't you do it. How many kids have grown up in a family and learned to hate church and learned to just reject Christianity because on the way home, mom or dad criticized a sermon they heard in some way or another, and the little ears in the back seat are listening to every word you said. And you're undermining what God is trying to help you with. Now, it's, it's perfectly fine to disagree, but you want to do it in such a way that the little ones don't, under, don't feel like you're undermining what, what's going on at the church, what's going on with the things of God. Sometimes a preacher can be wrong, no doubt about it. I've heard him myself. But you want to be careful in what you say. How many times parents have argued 
and just hideously talked about each other and said things while the little ones are in the room or two away from them, and they can hear, trust me, a child can hear a pin drop in a windstorm. I used to hear my mom and dad argue, and I could hear every, I used to say, please don't argue. I'd be in my bedroom saying, mom, dad, please don't do that. Please don't say that. I love both of them. I didn't want them to be at each other. I didn't want them to be. Did any of you, did any of you ever, parents ever argue? I mean, ever say a cross word to each other? My mom and dad stayed married their whole time. They stayed from one end to the other. But let me tell you, it wasn't all patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. They fought through a lot of stuff and argued through some stuff. My mother was a fighter, man. She was a fighter. Sometimes I'd say, Lorraine, be quiet. I never said that to her. (laughs) Oh, man, you wouldn't do that if you wanted to live very long. First of all, my dad would never have put up with that. And one thing my daddy demanded was respect. You respected him. You respected my, your mother. You didn't do anything contrary to that, or you were going to catch some wrath on that. And that was good. Thank God he did that. But, I mean, in my bedroom, I'm saying, please, Mom, if you just would shut up, we could all go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In some degree, it helped me in my own marriage. Some of it's just not worth fighting about. Amen. Remember, remember the tongue. Remember the tongue. Don't, don't, don't play innocent on me. It's a world of iniquity. It's set on fire from hell. And oh, it'll kindle and it'll alienate. And the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words say something about don't harm me. That's just not true. Words go to the very inner being of a human being. They go to the very soul of that individual and harm them. And sometimes in reputable ways cause bitterness to grow up in them and hatred to grow up in them. Words. Oftentimes, the real problem is words. We need to be careful with our mouths. Now, I'm not preaching this because I think we got a problem with this. I know we got a problem with it. Is we all have problems with this. We struggle with this. You can't read this passage and play innocent on me. We all struggle with this. May the Lord help us to have our lips, as it were, seasoned with grace. And, and the, the, the God Almighty would remind us of who we are and where we've come from and, and give us the grace to give people a little wiggle room around us to make some mistakes and to do some have some errors or have some stupid times. Everybody ought to have a little wiggle room, amen, and not just viciously, verbally pounce upon them, especially to other people. The Bible says if you've got a problem with somebody, you have to, according to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17, you have to go to that person and talk to them about it. But that's not what we do. Oftentimes you've got a problem with somebody, if they have a problem with Paul, you'll go to somebody else who don't even know Paul and say, man, that guy at church, that Paul, man, you can't even believe him. Now, you know, I'm just making that up. But, I mean, that's the way, that's the way, that's how vicious we are. Without the Holy Spirit, without salvation, without God coming in and helping us, woo, we ain't fit to be around. We will, we will attack each other 
verbally and hurt each other. And that's why marriages oftentimes are destroyed and friendships are destroyed is basic bitterness that builds up through unforgiveness of damages that have been caused verbally to one to another. And people don't ask forgiveness. And even if they do, they won't forgive them because they cherish their bitterness. People pretty soon get where they enjoy being bitter and they think somehow being bitter is punishing other people. Listen, you can hate me all you want. I'm going to sleep good tonight. If you hate me, it won't change. I probably didn't even know it, right? And so why don't you just forgive people, and that way you're free, they're free, everybody's free. And Jesus said if you'll forgive others their trespasses, by the way, you get your trespasses forgiven also, right? That's a good thing. Well, may God help us with our tongue. Father, help us tonight in this brief message about the tongue. May you just wake us up. May you warn us. May you give us a heads up that we would bring our tongue before you. And first of all, seek forgiveness where we've spoken uh, wrong things, sinful things, slanderous things about other people that they may not even know. God help us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com. Or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.